songs for our discipleship. And so today we're going to read this psalm of unity, and then we'll be back in the Gospel of John for the fall. So let's read God's Word. It's the Word of our Lord. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, Let's trust his true word. Uh, Let's pray. Our Father, may we experience here at Hope uh, this good and pleasant gift of harmony. And for that to happen, we have to see Christ. We have to see Jesus and see the depths of his love for us. So this morning, we ask that your spirit be at work moving us by Christ's example of humility, teaching us to consider others more significant than ourselves, as he did so for us, even to, to death on a cross, while we were his enemies. So bind us together in the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to need the kids' help, so I'm going to invite the, I guess it's just my kids this morning, <laughs> so I'll invite my children to come forward. <laughs> Jonah, come get your beard. <laughs> come on, guys. You got this. Everybody. Yep. While you put that on, so you guys can sit down there. So, who likes it when you are arguing and fighting at home? Right. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> right? Does anyone actually enjoy when there's conflict, when, you're, when someone else is mad at them or they say, I don't like you, go away. Right? Nobody does. And so what I want to do, as Jonah puts on his beard, is show you what it's like um, when people get along. So I've got some water here. So, Jonah, you got your beard? <laughs> you don't really have a collar, but you ready? This is not a baptism. It runs down. Doesn't that feel great, like you're getting along? <laughs> no. <laughs> now, if I had let it go, it would run all the way down your, your clothes, right? Here, you can dry off. <laughs> Here, put that on your head. Does that sound, sound great? Like oil running on your head? What about, if, what about mist? So, Jonah, why don't you stand here on the stairs? So, stand right here. It doesn't matter. You can set the beard down. Now just stand there, and I need the Samson sit on the bottom step there. Sit up. <laughs> there you go. All right, Ezra, you sit down there too. So one of the other pictures of getting along, right? It's like the dew coming down from the sky, falling on Hermon, and Hermon is this mountain in the Middle East, and it's the taller mountain between... Um, it's taller than Mount Zion. It's the tallest one in the region. So if you were to look out in the distance in the in, in your northern part of Israel, you would see Hermon. So this is, this is going to feel like mist. You ready, Ezra? Do you feel the mist falling down? Right? See, this is Zion way down here. And so the Bible says unity is like the dew. Nope. Hey, oh. The unity 
falling on the tallest and even the lowest. Now, here's the question. No, stop. Stop. That's it. Guys, last one. Last question. So here's what this teaches us. What direction did the water come from? Or the oil, I should say. Right? From top to bottom. What about the dude, Ezra? Which way did that come from, from your perspective? From above or below? Above. Right. See, the lesson we're going to learn this morning is that unity, getting along, peace at home, peace, especially peace at church, <laughs> in God's family, it's a gift that comes down from heaven to us. And so the next time you're getting along and you're having fun with family and friends, especially here at church, it's an opportunity for us all to say, thank you, God, <laughs> for this gift. You guys can go to your seats and off to Children's Church. Thanks for the beer, Jonah. <laughs> so, it's helpful to, to illustrate it a little bit, but you know, what if we had done that at Family Fun Day to advertise Hope Church and why you should come? You know, it's like, it's like the oil running down Aaron's beard. Or it's like... Like the dew, and you know, just come to Hope Church. It's like, like the dew falling on this random mountain you've never heard of in the Middle East. Right? Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> you know, the, the ancient metaphors don't connect with us the way they did uh, the original hearers. But what the metaphors represent is the kind of community I think our culture is longing for, we're all longing for, and want to be a part of. It's the kind of community where... Um, it's a community that gets along. There's peace. There's not bickering. Um, it's the kind of community that actually wants to love their enemies, not just tolerate them. Right? In fact, I mean, I've, we barely want to tolerate our enemies these days. Um, the temptation is if you disagree with someone, that means you're automatically against each other and and therefore, we're not going to give them a seat at the table, much less befriend them, which makes life in the church more complicated. All right? And did you remember um, Joe Biden's inauguration speech two and a half years ago? Um, it's appropriate in the midst of all kinds of discord and conflict that Biden said, today on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together uniting our people. I ask every American to join me in this cause, uniting to fight the common foes we face, anger, resentment, hatred, extremism, lawlessness, violence, because with unity we can do great things, important things. We can right wrongs. We can make America, once again, the leading force for good. And then he says, I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy. So maybe this is a good question to start with this morning. Does unity in the church, including you, right, not from the outside looking in, does that sound realistic or feasible? Something that you want to work towards and participate in? Or do you think it's just a foolish fantasy, you know, akin to Lenin's I can only imagine? You know, this, this Psalm of David praises when Israel, right? Remember, Israel's a, a political nation, but really it's a big family. God's people, they're a family. 
It praises when they dwell together, when they live together in harmony, in unity, in peace. It's good, it's right, it's attractive, it's pleasant. Right? And, and this is more than just a, a, a Hebrew family reunion that he's celebrating. Right? This isn't just, let's go eat some kosher hot dogs and potato salad and tell some stories and go home. This is celebrating when they all come together in worship to Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, um, all, the whole family, and everyone enjoys peace. Brothers, that language of brothers includes brothers and sisters, but in the scriptures, it traditionally includes the poor. It would include slaves, those who were so poor they had to sell themselves, they had to pay off their debt. Um, it would even include lawbreakers, public moral failures. This is Deuteronomy 25, where they, there's a reminder that even as you're distributing justice, don't forget that they're still your brother. So, how do we do this? And this is, I think, our, our problem with this text as we run into reality, even as David does in his life. Um, in the scriptures, unity is not the main story. It's a story of conflict from, from outside of Eden till now. So much of the Old Testament is family arguing, right? Um, the family of God has been one large dysfunctional family. You think of starting with, I mean, you can start with Cain and Abel, but you go with Joseph, right? The brothers jealous, selling him into slavery. Um, you could, there is a line in Judges where it says, Israel is united. They were together as one man. But that was in Judges 20, when all of Israel, except the tribe of Benjamin, they all gathered together as 11 tribes to fight against the other, to deal with an injustice. Right. David's family, his son tried to kill him and take the crown. David's great-grandson, grandson Rehoboam, He's going to split the kingdom because he looks at his own people, his own family. He treats the people like Pharaoh, like they're servants rather than brothers and sisters. I mean, read the story of Jesus. He didn't get along with his family. His family thought he was crazy. And so this is what we're up against as we get ready to meditate on this psalm that celebrates the goodness and the, how enjoyable unity is when God gives that gift. And so, how do we get there? In light of who we are and, and our sinful natures and the world in which we live. So, let's start this way. Look, first point number one, you got to see the goodness of, of the unity that is being described here. Right? I mean, one, notice that uh, the Christian life, the life of faith, is not designed to be solitary. And I know there's an ancient tradition where, where the, holy of a, the holiest, holiest monks would go out into the desert and sit on a platform and pray and suffer and, and fast, right? The blessing of heaven comes down in Psalm 133 on a family. Uh, when you're together, that's why Eugene Peterson would say you can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with God's family, the church, than you can be a person and not 
have a family, right? Because if you're a person, you have parents, you have siblings. You, they might not be a great, right? But you still, to be a person is to have family. Similarly, you, you, you cannot be a Christian in the Scriptures without dwelling together. It's, the vision is that God sets the lonely in community, his church. I mean, that's what it says here at the end, right? For there on Zion, where they are all going, there God has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. Together, right? Now, what kind of unity is this describing? Well, it's describing a, a humble unity. So if you turn with me to Deuteronomy 25, this is a really interesting place. 20, Deuteronomy 25, verses 1 to 3. All right, it says, If there is a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty... Then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. Forty stripes may be given him, but not more. Lest, if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother shall be degraded in your sight. Now, I know our modern justice system, we say, I can't believe there's, they're beating somebody. Right? But look at, look at the way the justice system is designed. Is don't let justice get in the way of seeing your brother as your brother. Right? Don't degrade them in your sight. And to degrade is to treat someone lightly, like they, they matter less than you. Um, the beauty of this justice command is it's it's mixed in with compassion, right? It's don't let their moral failure see them as less significant in your sight. Right? Something our, I'm sure our justice system could learn from. Right? I mean, this is, this is a call to, to not hate your brother or sister in your heart, as Leviticus 19 will say. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? For, and for this kind of community to get to that place where you don't look down on moral failures. Right? It demands humility. Right? The kind of humility that comes only with an experience of, of mercy. Right? We're, we're getting closer to the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? where you go, okay, Jesus, okay, David, who is my brother? Who am I supposed to dwell, who am I supposed to get along with? Of course, Jesus tells that story about a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and, and gets uh, mugged and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And it's a Levite who should know Leviticus and a priest who knows the scriptures who see their brother on the side of the road and cross on the other side and keep on moving. Now, the hero of the story is the Samaritan, this ethnic, political, and religious enemy who sees the man, has compassion, and at great cost to himself, builds a relationship across enemy lines, so to speak. See, the kind of unity 
that I think the psalmist has in mind is seeing everyone in God's family as your brother or sister to where you cannot see yourself as more significant than others. Easier to talk about than to pull off. So there's a, a humble unity here. You just think about the implications of everyone being brother or sister. Um, second, this unity ought to be contagious. Uh, it should spread. I mean, I know there's irony because David's the one celebrating and saying how great it is when family gets along. It was conflict in his family that spread from his house and filled the whole kingdom of Israel. But here he says unity is like this precious oil that pours out on Aaron's head, the Aaron the high priest, and drips down on his clothes. And it's a specific kind of oil that was made with perfumes and spices. Um, and so it's this, this smell that should permeate. And the idea is because he's the high priest, he represents the people of God. It's, it's this blessing of unity spreading out to God's people. It should be contagious. It should spread. Right. And the whole point of Aaron um, being appointed and anointed high priest is that he is now God's representative between heaven and earth, and he gets to mediate the blessings, the gifts of God to God's people. Right. And we know that because he had a chest plate that had stones that represented all 12 tribes. And so unity that is good and pleasant, it smells good. It's attractive. Um, it's, it's designed to, to spread to others. Um, I mean, that's, that's what Jesus would teach us, right? That there's a, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I loved you. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not one person doing all the work. It's, it's this contagious unity, this contagious peace. That's um, why Francis Schaeffer would say, without true Christians loving one another, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen. Even if we have all the right answers. Right? Be careful, surely, to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers and, and listen to the questions of those around us. But after you've done your best, Schaeffer says, to communicate to a lost world, do not forget that the final apologetic that Jesus gives is this observable love of true Christians for true Christians. That's the call. It's a contagious, widespread unity that moves from the high priest to, to cover the whole family with the, this, this smell. <laughs> Third, it's a humble unity, it's a contagious unity, I think, that's describing an inclusive unity. I know the word inclusive is overused, but right, the, the dew that falls down from Mount, on Mount Hermon and comes all the way down to Mount Zion was a picture of, of the tallest and the lowest, the highest uh, and um, the least. Right? It's this idea that all will find refreshment in this kind of community. It's inclusive. Right? It's for 
moral failures, as we, we heard in Deuteronomy. It's also for law keepers. Uh, it's for the rich. It's for the poor. And as Jesus makes clear, it's not just for one ethnic group. It's for the nations. Right? And so when it's describing this dew that comes down from heaven on the mountains and includes Mount Hermon in the north, this, this tall mountain, it, and actually blesses lowly Mount Zion. Right? Everybody gets in on this. And Richard Sibbs makes the same point about the oil. Right? He says that just as the oil poured down on Aaron's head and ran down his beard and down onto his clothes so that the lowest parts of his garments were bedewed by the oil, um, so too the grace of God's Spirit poured on our head, Jesus Christ, our high priest, that runs down on us in the church, down to even the lowest Christian, so that we all partake of the spiritual anointing, the same gifts of grace. I know it's old, old language where it's always a really long sentence. But do you hear what Sibs is saying? Christian unity is inclusive because in God's family, we all have the same anointing. We all are given the gift of the Spirit. And because we all have the gift of the Spirit, we have the same Father, we have Jesus as the same elder brother, and we all have the same uh, Spirit that was poured out on Jesus. And that binds us together in what Paul calls the bond of peace. In other words, all of these blessings <laughs> fall down on us through Jesus, our high priest. Right? Isn't that not the kind of family you would want to be a part of? Right? The, kind of the kind of attention, the kind of love, the kind of um, belonging where no one is overlooked, uh, where... You know, psychologists say that in siblings, especially in big families, they're always competing for, for attention, where you don't have to compete for attention in the church. Right? See, a, a good and pleasant family, according to Psalm 133, that dwells together in unity and peace, it demands humility, it's designed to spread, and it's for everyone in the family. Right? Now, the second point here is how do you do that in a world that's constantly pulling us apart? Right? How do you aim for unity in an anti-unity world? Um, why is this kind of family so hard to build? And uh, there's several reasons. I mean, one, in this room, how far out are, geographically are we spread? <laughs> I mean, that, that makes it just, for us as Hope Church, that makes it difficult. Um, modern culture, just in general, isolates you, unless you're intentional, to work towards this kind of community. I mean, as Robert, I think it was Robert Putnam famously wrote, um, Americans go bowling alone. They watch television alone. In the 1970s, one social commentator said, America is one vast, terrifying anti-community. Right? This is pre-COVID, before all that stuff tore us apart. Right? I mean, we, could we could spend all day listing topics 
that people are passionate about that tear down unity. Right? So that's one thing against us. Um, there's the process of fake unity that, that we're, we, we experience, right? You know what fake unity looks like? Uh, where all these buzzwords are, are proclaimed and preached and taught and demanded. I mean, all of you, if you've ever been in a workplace, you know the, the buzzword, right? Diversity, inclusion, and, and equity. And what it tends to result in is a whole bunch of different people in the same room with fake smiles. You know what those smiles look like when mom and dad are trying to get that family portrait and everybody's actually happy. <laughs> no, there's at least one with, because eh, they've been bribed with candy or something. No. Telling people to get along, to love one another, doesn't change the human heart. Right? So we got to distinguish between how uh, we're going to force this through and you're going to like unity whether you want to or not. <laughs> And real unity where you want to be there and participate. And even in the church, right? The church ought to be a refuge of unity and community, and, and we're called to be a place where we know well enough to where Paul's uh, commands are actually relevant. And Paul says you need to bear with one another and be patient and forgive one another. And in order to forgive somebody, you've got to be close enough to be offended. Right? If you never spend time with each other, that's just a surface-level unity. It's not real unity. No, the, the Scriptures paint the church as, as a family, and really, as Jesus says, your first family, um, because we're all gathered around the person of Christ, and for that to actually happen, that requires a, a massive amount of intentionality to spend time together, to eat together, to pray together, to commit to be on Sunday together. I mean, it takes a lot of time to build a humble, contagious, inclusive community. Right? Now, what, what the reason we struggle to, to come together is because well, this is what the church is. We have people with different values, different loves, who are being called to set aside those things they find significant and put them, make them secondary or make them tertiary. Make Christ first so that you love his family first. Right. Uh, this summer, we did a lot of traveling in the car, so the boys and I started listening to The Hobbit. Um, and so if you don't know the story, right, it's the prequel to Lord of the Rings, and it's the story about 13 dwarves who are trying to go home to, to reclaim their homeland from, from Smaug the dragon, who's camping out on their gold. Right? And they recruit Bilbo Baggins, this hobbit, the small, small creature, to be their burglar. And so after a whole lot of adventure, they finally get there. Um, and at the end of the story, in the famous Battle of the Five Armies, um, there's a moment where the army of the humans, the army of the dwarves, and the army of the elves are lined up all ready to fight to the death because they want some of that dragon gold. Right. And in the, the mythology of Middle Earth, the humans, the dwarves, the elves, I know I'm ner really nerdy right now, they were created by Iluvatar. They all have the same source, same creator God. And yet here they are at each other's throats for gold. All right. And and so 
what do you, how do you figure that out? What about us? Not only are humans all have the same creator, in the church in particular, we all have the same Savior, the same Lord, one baptism, one, one spirit. Right. What loves do you have that make you want to line up on, on an opposite side right. that would trump Christian unity? And the answer is, we all have them. I, that's why we have to bear with one another, because we, we go through that process of figuring what they are in a bumpy fashion. Right. And I think this is the point of the psalm. Why can't we get along? Why can't we do what Barney the dinosaur told me to do when I was a kid? Right? Why can't we all just love one another? It's because it has to be a gift. It can't be achieved because of sin. And that's the point of the psalm. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity when it comes down. Right, and that's the last point here. We have to receive the gift. Right, three times. You, you can kind of see it in English. It talks about the oil running down on the beard. It runs down on the collar. And then the dew falls down on the mountains. In Hebrew, it's the exact same word, coming down. And the, the portrait is that the only way God's people are going to dwell together is if all the blessings of God come down on his people. How do we get it? It's by, getting, by, be, by being loved by God in the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, our high priest. And the blessing was commanded there in Zion, on Jerusalem, through Jesus, just years later. Right? And, and this is what Jesus prayed for us. He says, May they, all who will believe in me, be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. And so Jesus is saying this, as God the Father poured out the Spirit, anointed Jesus to be this fragrant offering for us, what Jesus does in his prayer, says, I'm going to take what God the Father poured out on me and I'm going to share it with you to anyone who believes. Right? And when you have the Spirit, you have the same Father. And when you have the Spirit, you are loved as Jesus is loved. Right? And when you have the Spirit, you have, you have the resources to work towards peace. Right? See, the word Christ literally means anointed one. And so to be a Christian is to be a, a small anointed one. Right? Just by nature of being a Christian, the word that we use to describe who we are as a Christ follower, we're saying we have a lot more in common than we tend to think about. Because what, what binds the church together, according to Bonhoeffer, right, he says, what determines our brotherhood is what that person is because of Christ. Our community consists solely in what Christ has done to and for the both of us. So just think about that. Right, every person who believes has been grafted into a good and pleasant community. First, it's the community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Right, this, this gift of grace that pours down on us 
through faith in Christ. Or you have the same love that binds God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit for eternity. I don't even understand the words that I'm saying <laughs> in terms of trying to get your mind wrapped around what an infinite, eternal, and holy God and what that, the magnitude of that love would be. Right? And yet, for us to have that, what did Jesus have to do as our high priest? He had to offer himself as a fragrant offering. Right? He and the Father are one, united in love for one another and in mission, and yet the same Jesus also said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then as he endured the hell and loneliness of the cross, because we loved ourselves more than God or our neighbor. Now, in the, in the gospel, you see Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's, he's forging a, a humble unity as he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. He, he treated us as if we were more significant, even to his death on the cross. Right? And it's a contagious unity as he, by intention, takes what he has and shares it with the church coming at, flowing out from him as our high priest. And it's inclusive. Because all it takes is faith, and you have what Jesus has. Whether you're the pastor, or I don't know who would be the, the lowest, right? Like, how do you even figure out who is the highest and lowest in the church? Right? But it means in the church, you can be weak, you can be poor, you could be a criminal. Uh, you, if you're in Christ... This is your brother or sister. The church, by God's design, is founded on the idea that no one is righteous except Jesus, and everyone inside the church has the exact same righteousness as Jesus, despite our sin. So I would argue um, one of the most uniting things we do uh, if we're paying attention. I mean, it's hard, hard to do with some of the repetition, but every, every week we confess our sin. Uh, once a month we take communion, and these are moments, I mean, the whole worship service is just a moment where we say, we have all of this in common. When we gather around the Lord's table, Jesus is the host and the sacrifice for me and for you. Christ died for you. I am called to love you even as if you're driving me nuts. <laughs> right. So, if we're honest, if you know that Christ died for you and for your sin, for your moral failure, how can you look at a brother or sister as less? How could you degrade someone made in the image of God, remade in the image of Christ as less? Right. So, let's bring this to a close here. Of course, church is hard, right? Unity is hard. Even just saying these things, I mean, I know the history of hope. I know the history of every church. It's full of sinners. But what this does, ask, what it puts in front of us to say is, how do we intentionally live out the gift we've received through, through faith in Christ? One, it's intentional, right? It's, it's showing up. It's being okay with awkwardness. Uh, being okay being around people that you don't naturally gravitate towards. Right? No, 
for, for us to receive the gift and live out of this gift, uh, it's going to require humility. It's going to require faith. It's going to require us to forgive one another, bear with one another, all those wonderful one another passages in the New Testament. And we want to be a, a community that smells, that smells good. You know that communities smell, right? Um, Steve Brown tells this story and joke, so please hear this in the right way. Um, about two hunters were in the woods, and one of them suddenly falls over and, and has a heart attack, and his friend rushes over and finds his, his hunting buddy uh, unresponsive, and, and so he's panicking and panicking. He remembers to call 911 and says, my friend is dead. What do I do? And the, the operator says, well, calm down, sir. Just take it easy. We can help. First, let's make sure he's dead. You can see where this is going, right? <laughs> There's a long silence followed by the sound of a gunshot. Okay, now what? <laughs> right. He was dead, now he's deader. You know, it's ridiculous, but you know what? This is what Jesus said the Pharisees do. It's supposed to be his community. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly look beautiful, but within are full of dead bones, uncleanness. Outwardly you look righteous, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In other words, you all look good on the outside, but on the inside you reek of death. You, you reek of self-righteousness. You walk around considering yourself more significant than anyone else. You're the walking dead. And this is why unity is so hard, because even church communities can smell like that. Someone will come to church dead in their sins, drowning in guilt and shame, and terrified of being judged. And then they leave that church feeling like that poor hunter in the woods, right? deader than when they arrived. That's why Jesus would say to the Pharisees, right? You travel across the globe to get a convert, and once they join you, they become twice the son of hell that you are, which is really pointed. In other words, these communities that forget the gospel, that forget that everything comes as a gift of grace through the high priest, through Jesus, they tend to form communities that pray, thank God I'm not like those other people. In those communities, to quote, to quote King James, they smell like Lazarus in the tomb. They stinketh. Right? They're deader than dead. Now, to, to be a Christian is to be anointed with a spirit that smells like a fragrant oil, like the oil that runs down on Aaron's beard. And that smell, that fragrant aroma is going to smell like grace. It's going to smell like Jesus. It's going to smell like the one who, through compassion, through his power, through the Spirit, brings the dead to life and says, you are mine, my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased in Christ. May God be kind enough to give us that gift. Let's pray. Father, I pray for, for us uh, that we would receive and not take for granted the, the power of the gospel, not only for salvation, but to kill the hostility and difference between us. So may, may you continue to 
Form Hope Church to be a refuge for all who come and have received the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Form us into um, a community that Psalm 133 is describing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing our, our final song, Oh, How Good It Is.